Welcome to the American Planning Association podcast. This episode continues our series that takes a look at the people behind the plans, showcasing the work, life, and stories of planners from all across the profession. I'm your host, Courtney Kashima, founder and principal at Muse Community Design, a planning and public engagement studio in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a longtime member of the American Planning Association. Our guest today is Mark De Laverne. Mark is the Chief of Mobility Innovation for the City of Detroit. Prior to that, Mark was the Director of Transportation Planning at Sam Schwartz Engineering. Mark is bilingual. He speaks engineering and planning. He led such projects as Chicago Streets for Cycling and the Chicago Pedestrian Plan. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Courtney. Super excited to be here. Now, for some, mobility may seem like a wonky term. Tell us why mobility is important. Sure. So if you break it down to its most simplest forms, in my opinion, mobility is just simply the ability to get somewhere. Um, and whether that is people or whether that is things. Um, and so many cities, the mobility has is the lifeblood of, of how they've been built, um, how they have either succeeded or not succeeded. Um, and we see that places all over the place um, right now from, you know, cities like New York that had so many great things happen because of the great transit system they had, but now beginning to see how do they continue to have that growth with challenges with keeping the infrastructure up to growing cities like Seattle and Austin, where you just hear these issues with regards to the the idea of congestion and not being able to get people and things around, um, really saying, how do we how do we move our city forward? So what does that look like in the motor city? Sure. So Detroit is pretty unique when it comes to to mobility. Um, We have a lot of challenges that have been built up over essentially decades and through a lot of of different decisions um, from land use to infrastructure to just policy itself. Um, 70% of our residents work outside of the city. And it's similar to to a lot of cities where you have residents that that do that reverse commute. Um, But it's exacerbated by the fact that we do not have a regional transit system. We have two different bus systems and we do a lot of coordination between them. But for a lot of our residents that need to work out in the suburbs, transit is a difficult thing. And then you exacerbate that by the fact that we have the highest cost of car ownership of any city in America and there's not a close second. And we have some very regressive car insurance laws that make it extremely challenging for people to own a vehicle. You know, people are making thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars gross and being required to spend anywhere between three and six thousand dollars on car insurance. And, you know, these things are are things that didn't just sort of happen and, you know, when the mayor came in four years ago, city was still under emergency management and was focusing on a lot of very foundational issues. Um, but has done a lot to begin to address this issue from adding a significant amount of bus service. We went from not having any late night service to now having 10 routes that run overnight, adding new buses, adding new routes themselves, really beginning to beef up our transit service to recently the mayor announced our initiative of our first bonding effort post-bankruptcy, where we're doing $125 million um, neighborhood streets, main streets initiative, um, really focusing on a lot of the commercial areas that we're seeing growth, we're seeing development, we sort of see retail, and we want the, the streets to, to match that area. So we've begun to, to invest a lot, both on the transit side as well as on the street side. And my job is to focus on how do we bring 
new types of technologies, new types of services, and really integrate them into the to what we are doing and to really solve problems. So the money coming through the bonding, is that for infrastructure improvements specifically? Yeah, so it will be streetscape projects, um, complete street type projects, road paving, um, but, but focusing on a number of very specific corridors to help make a lot of our main streets look similar to main streets that are pretty much in the suburbs directly adjacent to it. We recently completed a study, and I, I don't have the exact number, but a significant amount of leakage that we were having on retail. And just comparing our the neighborhood main streets and the suburbs that are directly adjacent to it to our retail, to our main streets, um, really showed the need to, to make an investment in these streets to help support economic development and local businesses that are looking for pedestrian traffic and to create that walkable character. So do you have a counterpart at the city that's focused on sort of the land use economic development piece? Yeah, so we have, um, the way the city's broken up is that we have um, our planning department, which is led by Maurice Cox and Janet Tarian, and then we have our Department of Public Works, and they're focused on the street side. And then we also have our own transit agency. We're the largest city in America that has a transit agency that reports directly to the mayor, um, which creates a unique situation for us that we don't rely on a sales tax for our transit. We don't have a board. We have general fund money that goes into transit, and we have one principal, which is the mayor, who controls transit. So gives us a lot more flexibility, and as, that's what we've seen is, is we've begun to invest a lot more money in transit. It's just basically said, like, this is something we are doing as a city, as opposed to being reliant on a specific funding resource or having to make the decisions of a board. It makes things much easier when it's a city department doing transit. You've been the chief of mobility innovation for about a year and a half. What are some of the innovations you've proposed or been able to achieve? Sure. So some stuff's still in the laboratory, so we can't share everything on the podcast. But, um, you know, we've been focusing on a a number of different things. And and some of them, you know, in some cities might seem seem somewhat basic. um, But for us, you know, these are are new things that we're going to be trying out. So the mayor announced that we're going to be doing a pilot um, around bus service for school students. And the idea to be is that we're going to be very focused on keeping kids in Detroit to stay to school. And transportation is one of the reasons that um, kids leave Detroit, um, that a lot of the suburban school districts, because we have school choice, offer transportation in the idea of trying to get Detroit kids to come to their school district. So what we are doing is we're running a, a school loop pilot. Um, that will serve both charter schools as well as Detroit public schools and run during the morning and during the afternoon, um, connecting anywhere between 8 and 12 schools. But to allow parents that might say, I want my kid to go to a school that's not my neighborhood school, and this provides them that option. Um, when you add in the fact of, of the challenge of car ownership in the city and you know that not all of our schools are right next to a, a city bus route, that this idea of providing a school loop will um, encourage students to and the parents to keep their students here in Detroit. Um, and we're layering that with after-school activities and, and investment there to say, you know, if we if we make this investment, and it's, it's a city investment combined with the schools as well as with um, the Skillman Foundation, does this make an impact on Detroit kids staying in Detroit? And we're pretty confident that's going to happen. We also have another pilot um, with Lyft, where we will be offering a, a free credit for customers that use our main bus route between the hours of 12 a.m. and 5 a.m. to essentially say, we're offering the service. We don't offer the same level of service at 2 o'clock in the morning that we do at 
3 o'clock in the afternoon. But to say, if we're, we're putting this base service out there, if we add something like Lyft or some other sort of new mobility or micro transit, does that help make people's lives better, number one? You know, as opposed to having to walk a mile and a quarter at two o'clock in the morning. And two, will people use it if we're offering something for free? Because we're very interested in, in not just understanding of just putting a pilot out there and saying congratulations, but saying, how do we take that and begin to iterate beyond it? You know, if this is something that's going to work, how is it going to work for every single Detroiter, for people that don't have a credit card, for people that don't have a cell phone? We don't know if that's a friction, but that's one of the things that we're hopefully that we're going to be able to learn so that ideally we get to a point of saying at two o'clock in the morning, what is the best way that we can provide mobility and what's the best business model that we can provide mobility to Detroiters? So those are projects, but we're also focusing on process and partnerships as well around innovation. And... From a process standpoint, we're working on how do we get more car share vehicles in Detroit. Um, we have two companies, Maven and Zipcar, right now, but most of the, the vehicles are focused in downtown and midtown. And I really want to see how do we get those vehicles more into the neighborhoods so it gives people the opportunity to say, I don't need a car or I don't need two vehicles. Again, going back to this same fundamental issue of how expensive it is to own a vehicle. So what we're doing is we're building a permit process as opposed to doing an RFP and just picking a vendor and saying this is what we're doing to allow any vendor to basically say, we will allow you to use our right-of-way, which is on-street parking spaces, and obviously saving these companies money in the process because as opposed to having an off-street space where they would house the vehicle, just being able to use on-street space. But in order for the companies to do this, for every two vehicles that they have in the greater downtown area, they have to have a vehicle in the neighborhoods. And just this ability to be able to say, like, we have something that we want to negotiate with, which is our right-of-way. And in order to use said right-of-way, you need to achieve one of our goals. Um, the fourth thing is a, is a partnership. And we talk about the future of mobility. Everyone is learning right now, and everyone is trying to figure out what the world is going to start to look like. Um, and that's cities, that's companies, and that's large OEMs, you know, these just giant companies not having any idea really what's going to begin to happen. So we just wrapped up a study with GM, DTE, which is our electric provider, Lear, which is a tier one and technology company. Quicken family of companies, as well as Bedrock, which is the largest developer in Detroit, as well as with the Michigan Economic Development Council. Basically an ideation process of saying, what are pilots that will start to solve challenges in Detroit, but also are interested of these companies as they begin to think through um, what the future of mobility looks for them. So basically, we had a consultant come in. We had people embedded from all of those companies. We had our staff working on it as well, and just beginning to share. And it was just a lot of learning from these companies on the, the challenges that are facing Detroiters. And for us, learning a lot of the business challenges of saying, like, why can't we launch a new product here? Again, a lot of it comes back to insurance, which is just a lot of stuff that I learned as well. And for these companies, and, and not just the companies we talked that were part of this process, but also a lot of companies that we talked to, um, while Detroit has its challenges, these challenges exist across the United States and across the world um, of areas of low density, you know, people without access to things like a credit card and things like a cell phone. Um, it's not just in Detroit. So it's a pretty big market. But these companies are just beginning to learn 
how to address other markets. So being able to to understand these issues as well as the frictions and, and the opportunity as well. So um, and they've it's been great partnerships. And it's one of the things that's been very exciting, I'd say, for for me over the last six months is just being able to really have honest conversations with companies about this is what we are looking to learn. This is what we are looking to do and having those companies say, we would also like to learn those things. So there's not a whole lot of those, those types of studies out there, which is kind of why I throw it in the innovation category. But I, I think it's something that we'll probably start picking up where are these, these co-ideation between public and private sector on just how do we learn from each other before we just go and throw stuff out there and see how it, how it actually functions. I was fortunate to attend PolicyLink's Equity Summit, and one session stuck out to me um, where the Metropolitan Planning Council in Chicago was describing their cost of segregation report. And the idea was that when they started it, they didn't know what the answer was going to be and how uncomfortable that can be. So it sounds like you guys have really embraced this idea of a process of inquiry, and you're okay with letting it lead you to hopefully some win-win solutions. Yeah. I mean, from a basic standpoint, I know the challenges in Detroit. What I liked as part of this process as well as some other things that we've done is doing like real ethnographic work to talk to specific people about what are the frictions you, you, you encounter. I know from my personal experience like how hard it is sometimes to get from A to B on the bus routes when I just missed the bus and the next one doesn't come 30 minutes. I don't know that experience from the point of view of a single mom who has two kids and has to drop those two kids off at two different places and then get to a job in the suburbs. That's just not something I can really understand without actually talking to a person and just hearing how hard it is. Um, and similarly, just being able to then take ideas and actually talk directly to people and say, is this something you would use? And obviously you pilot something to actually see if they're telling the truth, but really begins to check your biases really to say like to me this makes sense is this something you would use and people will give you very honest answers of saying like no that's dumb and you then have to really you know question is this a good idea or how do i tweak it and you can be able to ask those questions and it's it's different process than i'd say like traditional planning where you you know say like we're going to put a line on a map here should that line be here or here? And you can kind of argue on that, and eventually it just becomes a political decision versus saying, like, here's an idea we want to put out there. Do you think it's a good idea? Would you actually use it? And being able to take that feedback is when you develop an actual project. So you spent most of your career as a consultant. What's different about working in a highly visible public sector position? Well, people think that I'm much smarter now that I work <laughs> in the public sector. No, you know it's it's different, um, and it's different even working in the mayor's office versus working in a in a department level. And you know the the biggest thing to me is you know when I did consulting, I was brought on usually to just give ideas. And you know while I, you know you would do traditional outreach and get to meet the people, um, you know here I'm just focused on one large issue for a large city, but. It's not just simply saying, here's a great idea, and then going home at night. It's like, here's the idea, now make it actually happen. Um, And really diving into the weeds, which has been fun and harrowing at the same time. Um, But it's, it's a much different overall position from the standpoint of... It's not just kind of like patting yourself on the back because you made a client feel good. I mean, we have almost 700,000 clients in our city. Um, And they all have different and unique needs. So just really being able to really roll sleeves up and actually 
dive into the implementation. And some of it's really challenging. Like, I love our legal team, but, you know, there's a lot of legal stuff for, particularly when you're doing new things, that has to get worked out um, and can be frustrating from a time standpoint. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of lot of people that you just sort of want to check the boxes on all these things because, you know, particularly even things just like communications of, like, we've been working on a flyer and just making sure that the flyer um, works well and people actually understand what the project is um, to just make sure the colors look good and sort of all those things that, you know, are part of the brand of, of things that we're trying to do in the city um, that don't always get done in just a traditional planning project by a consultant. What are some of your big visions for Detroit and mobility in general? Like maybe what are some of the coolest ideas with the most power to impact the places we live? Sure. So, you know, outside of just traditional ideas of like, adding more bus service and um, building complete streets where they're, where they're really going to have an impact. I, I've got two sort of buckets of where I throw most of my work now and where my work will be going, um, one of which is around this idea of seamless mobility and the fact that while we're going to have different things, making it as seamless as possible for people to use those things and get around. Um, Right now, we as a city have a long way to go to, to get to that, and, and so do a lot of other cities. And whether it's just the fact that for us, we, we have transit systems that don't always talk to each other, and we've been making a lot of work with that and with our partners at SMART, um, who run our suburban bus service, to better align fares, marketing, transfers, all those types of things, to private mobility providers. Um, so you and I... We have lots of different apps on our phone. We have cards in our pocket that work for all these things, none of them which are integrated to public transit. And it's something that we see a great opportunity for. Um, we know that we're going to run fixed route service frequent on our main corridors. Um, but there's parts of the city where fixed route doesn't make sense and isn't going to make sense in the future. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be providing a high level of mobility. And technology is, um, particularly around payment and planning, can be the glue that begins to hold that together and allows you to offer different types of services that weren't necessarily possible without having a cell phone and having credit cards and things like that. Um, the second round, connected technology, is, is a little bit in the engineering world. Um, but the idea that stuff is going to talk to each other one day and it does today um and whether that's vehicles talking to vehicles vehicles talking to infrastructure infrastructure talking to infrastructure but that it allows us to do much more proactive and ideally predictive types of planning so for instance right now our traffic signals turn red yellow and green the same system no matter what's what's happening right but if we began to have sensors that said there's half an inch of rain out here and we know because we've gotten data from an oem from their vehicles that says half of inch of rain is when braking becomes an issue at with three seconds of yellow then we can begin the sensor talks to the infrastructure and says let's change the traffic signal based on what's really beginning to happen out there it's a kind of a dream scenario because of the infrastructure investment and everything that's going to be needed. And this is one of these things that we're looking to learn in addition to private sectors beginning to learn. Um, Toyota just made an announcement um, that they're, all their vehicles starting in 2021, I believe, will be connected um, and have this technology called DSRC. And it becomes a, an interesting issue to say, how do we 
who, who's responsible for, for making all these investments um, and is actually going to do anything as well because you see a lot of hype around a lot of these things, but the, the core thing that comes back to me is like, is this actually solving a problem? And that's we've got a grant through FHWA that will begin to be implementing um, where we're going to be focusing using connected technology to try and solve problems. And those problems might just simply be how do we make it safer to cross the street? Um, to how do we start providing better information at our transit stops to people? But there's a lot of lot of potential there. Um, it's just really beginning to understand what can be done. How do you scale it when you take pilots? Um, but it has the ability to really focus on two, on two big issues that face cities, which is safety as well as operational. I'm wondering if your view of mobility has changed now that you're a parent. Yeah, I, I think that if for nothing else, like you use a stroller and you start to see the challenges of when there isn't an accessible curb cut at an intersection to simply just saying, like, I wouldn't want my kid to ride a bike on that street. So it definitely has an impact. And I, I think that empathy is one of the hardest things to get in this industry because when you're younger, you're really focused on just trying to be the smartest person in the room and get attention. Um, and then as you get older in this industry, I'm talking about private sector, I guess, but public sector as well you're focused on even building that larger, trying to win work, things things like that, and don't really give yourself the opportunity to say, how is an experience like simply getting to work different for you, for that person over there, for that person over there? And it's one of the things that I try and stress a lot when people are interested in doing work is the first thing I want you to do is to just go out and try this. And I'll give you the experience because I've got it mapped out from, from different people. Um, but to just see, like, how hard it is for a lot of people. And not even just from, from the experience to just saying, like, you know, how hard it is to be able to go buy a bus pass in some places in, in Detroit and how we have to make that easier. So it's it's the one thing that, you know, it, the parent obviously has, has helped open me out there. Working in Detroit has helped expand that as well. Um, and I think it's a thing that I wish we all had more time because, you know, time becomes a limited resource in being able to actually to actually do all this and experience all this. But it's a, it's a huge, it's, it's probably been the biggest change for me over the last three or four years of my quote unquote career, um, is thinking less just simply, you know, how, how would I make this easier for me versus how would I make it easier for different people with different frictions? It's powerful. You grew up in Philadelphia. I'm wondering how that might've shaped your view of cities and places. So actually, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, but I grew up in a very uh, old suburb. So it was, it's over 300 years old, and it was very walkable. I walked everywhere when I was a kid. Uh, it took me a while to ride my bike, but um, and even when I did that, I still still liked walking. So I walked to, I lived next to my elementary school, so I walked there, I walked to middle school, I walked to high school, I walked to the mall, I just walked everywhere. Obviously, when I took six, turned 16, I got super excited about driving and then started driving just like pretty much every kid our age um, did at that point. But it, it really kind of created a sense of just enjoying walking. And I've always said, like, I'm a pedestrian first. I love transit. 
I used to bike a lot more than I bike now and I drive too, but I, I think it sort of instilled this idea of just walking everywhere and I had sidewalks everywhere. So the first time I went to a suburb that didn't have sidewalks, that, that seemed weird. And then I went to school in Philadelphia, which obviously is a great walkable city as well. And that's just a core principle of mine is just the ability to walk. It's a thing that I would like to see culturally change in Detroit a bit uh, is we don't walk as much because a lot of people drive and it's it's been very easy to drive. It's getting more difficult with more things happening in downtown, which is a good thing. But just walking from the riverfront to Little Caesars Arena, um, for a lot of people, that was a drive five years ago. Um, and it's one of those things where walking is great being outside is great it creates community it improves health um that i think has always been instilled in me as sort of a fundamental principle um and something i continue to regardless of my job is mobility innovation the core foundation of that is like people want to walk places so so i know you've traveled quite a bit i'm wondering if you have a favorite city detroit michigan are you paid to say that? <laughs> no, I, I love, I've been in Detroit for a year and a half and really love the city and learn, love learning new things about it every day. Um, it's got the nicest people of any city that I've ever lived or worked. And it's just amazing how much history and, and how many great people and stories there are in the city um, to learn from and to, for me to really better understand the city. There are a lot of cities that I hold dear that I did a, did a lot of work in and just spent time, though, with the people as well. Like, the work is one thing, but the just sort of relationships and the hospitality that a lot of people gave me as well as just a sense of having fun there. So Chicago, one, um, Macon, Georgia is another great city that I think has a lot of great things ahead of it. Pittsburgh is a city that I love just from its walkability, its transit, and also all the, the great things that Karina and Mayor Peduto are doing there. So many hills, though. Yeah. Um, that's why I would never ride a bike in the city, but uh, love walking and, and taking the bus in that city. Um, and then Seattle's another great city. And so Seattle, particularly from a, from a planning standpoint, is one of the cities that we're really trying to emulate um, of how much they invested in their bus system. And even now just have one light rail line, but is a great transit city because they invested so much smartly in their bus system from service standpoint to fare standpoint to operations to, to dedicating space. And then how they're growing right now, and but still trying to enhance their walkability, adding bike lanes and, and doing growth without adding more SOV trips is a pretty remarkable thing. And for us, that's our shining light in a lot of different ways of what we're looking to, to do from a mobility standpoint. So I'm wondering if there are any seminal texts that people who want to learn more about mobility should read, or if um, you're reading anything now that's really got you thinking or is impacting your work. Sure. So as you're well aware, since this is when we first met, uh, the thing that sort of turned the light bulb in my head was in 2007. I was on a road trip with my girlfriend, now wife, um, and just read the cost of the high cost of free parking cover to cover during that trip. And that was what turned the light bulb on. And at that time, there weren't a lot of people doing what uh, Professor Shoup was talking about. Now it's just sort of common that everybody everybody knows those things. Um, but for me, that's really what 
inspired me to pivot from traditional traffic engineering to doing more city-focused work around mobility and transportation. I don't probably read as many books as I should. Um, Jarrett Walker's book, obviously, is brilliant. I'm excited to see his next book. I read a lot of policy papers now. Um, consultants just give me things and read them, and I decide whether they're, they're worth reading or not, um, as well as academic papers because with the title Innovation, it's a lot of ideas, new ideas are going to come out of academia and be, be thrown out there. And it's good to just to, to understand like what, what's being written there. Transit Center puts out a lot of good information, both their little books as well as their, their blog posts that I follow. And right now, I've just started a book. It's called Making Cities Smarter by Martin Tomatish, and I'm sure I'm butchering his name. The focus of it is on how do we build things with people around this term smart city? Um, if you go to like Seven and Schaefer in Detroit and ask them what their three biggest concerns around mobility and transportation are, developing smart city applications is not going to be on the list of three or a hundred. At the same time, though, when we're beginning to do these quote-unquote smart city efforts, they need to be done in conjunction with, with our residents to, to understand what challenges they're actually facing, what concerns they might have from some sort of technology, but also just talk to them about what this is and what this isn't as well so that they can be part of these things versus, again, you know, the typical ivory tower planner engineer and just sort of cooking something up and just throwing it out there, really beginning to, to work together to, to make these things happen. So I like to ask all my guests a couple of questions. One is, what do you think the field of planning is getting right these days? What are, what's inspiring you? I think that everyone's figured out that you can't just do public meetings anymore and just expect people to come to you. I think this is something you and I talked about years ago, and everyone's kind of caught on, that you need to be more aggressive with getting out to find people to talk to. I think the next phase of that is beginning to pay people to be part of outreach processes. Um, we, and I'll say we as the collective industry of cities, municipalities, MPOs, and everything, spend probably tens of millions of dollars a year on outreach. And it all goes to consultants to design things. And one of the things that I've seen through some of the, the work that we've been doing, particularly around some ethnographic research, is that you get very rich stuff if you pay people to show up. And you're paying people for their time. Because that's what we are doing as part of the outreach processes is asking people for their time. And I think that might be the next evolution of saying to really dive into some of this stuff, particularly for the stuff that, that we're working around on developing new quote-unquote products, that it's, it's important to, to really have that one-on-one. That -on -one. As far as what's inspiring to me, I get inspired by a lot of our staff that works on, that are just brilliant and just work like crazy to, to begin to make a difference, to you know, seeing people in the community and the work that they do around not just mobility, but all aspects of, of making Detroit better. And that's one of the reasons I took this job was to be part of the mayor's team, but also part of what's, what's going on in Detroit. Um, and really that the city hit a low and really being just a super small little part of how that city comes back. What would you like to see happening more in planning? 
you know, I, I think we talked a little bit about empathy, and that's that's a big part of what I think needs to a lot of people need to take a lot more part of. I, I also think that and this is a pretty broad paintbrush I'm going to use. People need to embrace the bus more. You know, in, in some cities all across America, in big cities and small cities, the, the bus is seen as, as not an option for everyone. There might be some places where the bus is not a great option, but there are in a lot of places the bus is okay. Like it's not going to, you know, be the next hyperloop, but it's a easy, safe, efficient way to get where you want to go, assuming the system is, is run well. And I, I know if I, if I could sort of go back in my career and all the work that I did for other cities, I think that's one of the things that I would really focus on is, you know, a much greater emphasis on not necessarily new things, but sort of taking the thing you have, which is your, your bus system, and saying, how do we get more people to, to give this a shot? Um, you know, I, I basically just guilt people in Detroit that say they've never been on the bus and say, go, t- go take a bus ride. Um, when our streetcar launched, and the streetcar has, has been a great addition to our transit system. But when people told me they'd be so excited about the, tra- the Q-Line, I said, well, have you ever ridden DDOT? And they'd say no. And I was like, well, I don't think you should ride the Q-Line before you at least ride DDOT once. And they come back and they say, yeah, it was fine. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of investments to make get up to that fine level and we'll continue. Um, but I, I think that, you know, and a lot of this is because of, of stuff that's gone on in in Houston or Columbus around network redesigns and beginning to see how if you've got buses that are running 15 minutes or better and then you can transfer to another bus and you don't have to plan your life around the bus, the bus is a, a great option to, to get where you need to go. So empathy and taking the bus. See, I'm uh, of a generation where 16 Candles, the movie, was very influential and a famous line from that is, I loathe the bus. Of course, those are high schoolers talking about the yellow school bus. And just full disclosure, I ride the bus uh, at least once a week. Well, I think I'm going to come up with a hashtag to make the bus cool again. Maybe that's all it needs is a meme or a hashtag. No, it's just hashtag the bus is okay. (laughs) Like we don't need to oversell it. I mean, it's it's a fine option, um, and particularly if you like to do things like be on your cell phone and catch up on a TV show or sleep. These are good things you can do on the bus. Um, and time is is all of our challenge. And being on transit, and particularly the bus, gives you more time back to you. Well, Mark, I really want to thank you for speaking with us today, sharing your insights and some of the innovations that we can look forward to. Thanks, Courtney. This was great. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the American Planning Association podcast. For more information and to hear past episodes, visit planning.org slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Have an idea for a podcast? Send them to podcast at planning.org.